And welcome to the podcast of Tech EU. This is our episode number 135, recording on September 17th, 2019. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please take a minute to leave us a review. This will help others find the show. So, today we are going to talk about the new commission, about Europe's reaction to Libra, about Amsterdam as a cool place to go public, bad Amazon habits, and much more. We will also run a conversation with Harold Saar, the head of fleet development at Stigo, an e-vehicle company from Estonia. I am your host, Andrew Degler, joined today in Flash by our research lead, Natalie Novik. Hey, Natalie. Hi, Andrew. It's so great to be here and to be taping the podcast live and, and in person here in Copenhagen. Yeah, it's amazing. And I guess uh, it's fair to say that we are both very much looking forward to Tech Barbecue, which is why we're actually uh, here in uh, Copenhagen. It's Mixed weather outside. We just had a sort of a hailstorm coming against the window, but right now it's actually sunny behind your back, Natalie. Yeah, so hopefully the weather holds off and we'll be able to test out all the e-scooters that we are seeing everywhere on the streets here. Yes, right after we finish the recording, we're going to take an e-scooter of choice of each of us and scoot to an event. Now, before we dive into the news of the past week, just a short shout out. Today's episode is sponsored by O'Reilly Velocity Conference that is coming to Berlin on November 4th to 7th. The conference will focus on teaching new skills, approaches and technologies for building and managing large-scale cloud-native systems. Join a community focused on sharing new strategies to manage, secure and scale the fast and reliable systems your organization depends on. Get your tickets on velocityconf.com slash tech and of course listeners of the tech EU podcast can get something extra that is 20% off of most passes to velocity just use the code tech eu20 during registration that's velocityconf.com slash tech and the code is tech eu20 now let's get to the stories and the interviews of the week and uh, my story is that Facebook's Libra cryptocurrency is meeting opposition in Europe. And France in particular seems to be very much against Facebook bringing Libra to the continent. Uh, French finance minister uh, Bruno Le Maire uh, spoke at an uh, OECD conference on cryptocurrencies uh, last week and said that the country is concerned about the issues uh, regarding consumer risk and the uh, government's monetary sovereignty that Libra could bring. He also said the following, the quote begins, I want to be absolutely clear. In these conditions, we cannot authorize the development of Libra on European soil. The quote ends. So Facebook's reasoning behind the new cryptocurrency is that it would help all those hundreds of millions of people around the globe who don't have access to bank accounts. I just checked uh, in the morning, it's 1.7 billion uh, people who do not have bank accounts around the globe. And of course, I do understand that uh, these uh, people need to bank one way or the other, and they need uh, money transfers and so on. And uh, also Libra appears to be more centralized and controllable than, for example, Bitcoin. So it's not just like pure crypto anarchy that we would be in for if uh, Facebook launched Libra tomorrow. Here is a bit more explanation here uh, that 
that's a quote from The Guardian. Uh, the quote begins, Unlike other cryptocurrencies, which are not controlled by a central authority, Libra will not be decentralized, but will be entrusted into a Swiss-based association of major technology and financial service companies. Besides Facebook, backers of Libra include the payment companies Visa, MasterCard and PayPal, and the ride-hailing apps Lyft and Uber. Libra is designed to be backed by a basket of currency assets to avoid the wild swings experienced by Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. It is expected to launch in the first half of 2020, the quote ends. Still, though, I don't think that Facebook at this moment is the right company to control what could become a new kind of economy that's entirely separate from uh, any state. And I wouldn't trust this to Facebook for sure. But let's, let's get back to the news uh, for now. Uh, France is not the only actually country that's concerned about the new cryptocurrency, as Switzerland also appears to be on high alert. And just recently... The Libra Association, which is based in Geneva, uh, said that it planned to apply for a payment system license in Switzerland. To that, uh, the Swiss financial market supervisor Finma said that Libra would face very tough scrutiny from the authorities, including the strict rules that normally apply to banks on top of uh, anti-money uh, laundering standards. And here is a quote from Reuters. The quote begins, uh, Finma said the project would be more than just a global payment system and would therefore be subject to extra requirements from liquidity and capital allocations for risk to the management of reserves that will back the digital tokens. The quote ends. Another series of concerns were voiced last week in the UK. Here, uh, Damian Collins, a chairman of uh, the Digital Culture, Media and Sports Committee, uh, said the following, the quote begins, To me, Libra suggests that Facebook's almost trying to turn itself into its own country, he told Financial News. It's a global organization that doesn't have physical boundaries, but basically has a global community who are solely under the oversight of Mark Zuckerberg. If we are going to have this payment system created by Facebook that exists within a Facebook walled garden, which no one really has access to or can question, then our concern has got to be that this system is going to be open to massive fraud. The quote ends. At the same time, Bank of England Governor Mark Carney was a bit more positive and he said that the bank, I quote, approaches Libra with an open mind but not an open door. The quote ends. So one way or the other, it seems like it's going to take Facebook a lot of effort to actually launch the currency in early 2020 in Europe or in the US for that matter, because in the US there were also a lot of uh, people, uh, some senators who were voicing similar concerns. So Natalie, I know you wouldn't use a currency developed by Facebook, but just in general, what would be your take in principle here? Does the world actually need a digital currency that is separate from any state and controlled by a consortium of private companies? So I think you're definitely right in that I share your skepticism that Facebook should be the company behind it. But I don't share your skepticism of total decentralization and cryptocurrencies. I think having a currency that is controlled by a private company and by a private interest, that is where they have a potential for, for real harm to be done. If you look at the kind of history of decentralization and these different types of cryptocurrencies, there is a lot of potential positives there. And that's the kind of solution that I would be more in favor of, especially for offering services for the unbanked. So you're a crypto anarchist. In some ways, I am. Definitely. <laughs> I understand that the kind of volatility makes it really challenging. 
But there are ways that we can help make this a, a better system for people. But I don't think having private companies behind it makes it something that we should get behind. Do you see any implementations that uh, would uh, seem okay for you right now? For having it uh, controlled by a private, yeah, private no, no, control, no, no, something that you actually like, something that you think would be the future, or, or, or do you think that the current cryptocurrencies can uh, fill this gap? No, I think there's some um, very interesting crypto initiatives in the West Bank, for example, offering opportunities for um, currency for people that are unbanked there, or where, where banking is actually very challenged. Um, and I think that's kind of the motion we should be pushing towards rather than having something done by Facebook and PayPal. It just doesn't seem something that I want to put my money behind. Okay. Well, I am, so yeah, I actually, I am skeptical towards Facebook in this case, but I would rather have a consortium uh, to control. It just depends basically who is in this consortium. And I'm totally fine with, for example, Visa and MasterCard being there. That's no problem at all for me. Anyway, Let's continue on the financial topic. Uh, what was your thing for today? Yeah, so you might have heard the news last week about a brand new company that's become Europe's largest internet company. And this company is called Prosys, and it debuted on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange last week. And according to Reuters, the Prosys listing is the third largest stock on the Amsterdam Exchange after Shell and Unilever. And it's become Europe's number two tech firm after Germany's SAP, which is listed on the New York Stock Exchange. So it's actually the highest listing in all European exchanges. And Prosys is a spinoff of the company of Naspers, which is a South African e-commerce and media conglomerate. And you might be thinking, I've heard that name before, but what exactly is Naspers and what did, where did this company come from? So Naspers has a long history and it began in 1915 to develop a Dutch language newspaper for South African readers. Today, they've become one of the world's largest investors in technology companies. According to their investment thesis, which I'll quote here, we believe in the power of local backed by global scale and we look for opportunities to address big societal needs in markets where we see the greatest growth potential, end quote. So they're investing broadly across e-commerce and media sectors and they're most known for their foresight and funding, what at the time in 2001 was a small company, but today is one of the largest companies in the world, which is China's Tencent. Today, they're the company's largest shareholder. In Europe, Naspers is known for funding Delivery Hero. In 2017, they invested 387 million euros into the company. And later that year, they became their largest shareholder. Today, they hold about 26% of the company. According to the Wall Street Journal, Naspers sought to create their subsidiary process because the company had gotten too big for their home market, the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. The process spinoff includes all of Naspers' consumer internet assets, including the crown jewel, which is their 31% share of Tencent, the Chinese tech giant. And Tencent is currently the world's sixth largest internet company by revenue. So you can begin to see kind of where the value of this company really comes from. The choice of listing process on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange was significant as they really could have listed anywhere. So it's a really big win for the market there and also for Europe. We should expect some more attention on Amsterdam Stock Exchange in the coming weeks from the tech sector, as Dutch communications technology company CM.com has just announced it'll be looking to raise around 100 million euros through an IPO of shares in Amsterdam in the next few weeks. 
Yeah, this is this is a pretty big one, and I was really surprised. I had never heard of uh, Prosus. I mean, I knew about I knew about Naspers, but uh, I didn't know that uh, uh, they held uh, these uh, much uh, this many assets uh, of uh, internet companies. And it's it's a really interesting type of an internet company now, right? It's just not something that is facing a consumer, uh, be it a, a private customer or another company, but just basically a holding that uh, has all these uh, stakes in uh, other companies. But yeah, great uh, success uh, for an Amsterdam uh, exchange of uh, Euronext. And uh, I do th- I do see actually that uh, uh, more and more tech companies, uh, I think, kind of at least consider going uh, uh, this way, the public way, rather than uh, raising the mega rounds. Mm-hmm. And I think it also is interesting, the choice to list in Amsterdam. Maybe this is a consequence of Brexit. I'm not sure. Maybe more uh, companies will be looking to list in Europe on the Amsterdam exchange than um, in the London Stock Exchange. I'm not sure, but it's something that I'll definitely be following. Yeah, that is true. But I think there was also some just uh, uh, one of the, well, at least one of the reasons is just as far as I understand, uh, the CEO of the group and process is actually Dutch. And there, there, is, there are a few people who, uh, who are from the Netherlands. So it's kind of home soil for them. So I think it's also uh, making it a bit uh, easier to float there. Now, uh, let us move on through today's agenda. And the next stop is the interview with uh, Harold Saar, the head of fleet development at Stigo. It's an e-vehicle company from Estonia, and the interview was recorded by our editor, Robin Wouters. Let's listen together and uh, be back in a few minutes to talk about the next commission, Bad Amazon Habits and Scientific Studies of Languages. So hey, uh, name's Robin Walters from Tech.eu, and I'm sitting down here with Harold Saar, who's uh, with Stigo, an Estonian company that makes e-vehicles, let's say, let's put it that way. But maybe you can uh, give a better introduction of a company. Uh, yeah, hi, uh, I'm Harold. I would say we are the micro-mobility provider, because we uh, concentrate on uh, small vehicles. So it's like e-bikes, electric scooters, mofas, kick scooters, e-steps, uh, one-wheels, everything that you can imagine. Right. So what does that mean? You make all of these and you sell them as a retailer off the shelf or do you provide a sharing platform or how does it work? Yeah, we have uh, three different uh, ways of doing business. One is uh, regular retail business. So we design and produce, let's say, a scooter. And then we approach media markets, Conrad, uh, different camper van uh, dealers. The next thing is um, custom designs. So let's say you are a sharing company and you want to have a really solid e-step for sharing or e-scooter, then uh, we can do one for you. We can develop it together or for you. And uh, the third one, which is, I think, the smallest uh, part of our business today is uh, business-to-business fleets. So if your company needs a fleet of um, electric vehicles, we can provide them to you so you can share them within your team, within your company. So it's like three different uh, categories. Got it. Okay. So tell me more about the company itself. Where is it based? How old is it? How many people, etc.? Yeah. So we've been live, I think, um, eight or nine years altogether. We've done like lots of R&D in the beginning. Four years ago, we came out with our first uh, mass production product, which was Stigo S. It's a foldable uh, e-scooter. Uh, it's fully street legal in Europe. Mm, and the idea is if you uh, reach your destination, you fold the scooter quickly in like two seconds and you take it indoors with you or, or on a train or uh, in a cafeteria, wherever you want to. That's, I think, what we are famous for and that's our bestseller today. 
Then we went to B2B sharing business because we saw that we are using our Stigo S scooters in our company. If someone wants to go to a meeting, he takes one of the scooters from the lobby and we're like, yeah, okay, if we are doing it, maybe there are others who want to uh, do the same business. And now why, why I'm in Belgium and why I'm meeting you is the, um, the shared um, kick scooter that we've done, which is for um, companies like Climb, Bird, Tier, Bolt, just name it. And uh, this is what we do. There are no sharing scooters at the moment on the streets. So they're all retail. You know, the average uh, lifetime is about 28 days. Uh, that's crazy. They, that's... that's something that like, we, we talked about this earlier, but I want to repeat this for, for the podcast interview. Basically, you're saying that all these companies you just mentioned, and there's a few others like mm-hmm. Tire and Flash, Walton mm-hmm. and Cirque, but all these companies that are... Like, like I only look at the ones in Brussels, you're saying all of them are basically using the same type of scooter source from the same companies and they're all foldable. They're all like, they don't have a long shelf life. Uh, exactly. They're, they're not meant for heavy use. Like um, the scooters you see on the streets, they are meant for you if you come in the morning to work and if you leave in the evening right. and that's it. But what our scooter is about is all about sharing. We know that sharing companies are all about the TCO, which is total cost of ownership. So we keep TCO really low. Uh, you don't have to do any maintenance. You get like really solid and bulletproof uh, sharing scooter. So this is, I think, where the secret lies. Uh, you don't have to spend money on it because if you see on the streets, you wanted to take some sharing scooters. You said they don't work. They are like rubbish. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that can go wrong. Like sometimes mm-hmm. the brake doesn't work properly. It doesn't start right mm-hmm. away. Uh, it says it's unlocked, but it's not, stuff like that. It mm-hmm, happens all mm-hmm. the time. Plus, they get vandalized. Like, if, yeah. if you say brakes don't work, you see, like, uh, the cables are cut, for example. With our scooter, you don't see any cables. Like, there is no way you can vandalize it. Plus, um, there's also one, one thing that we are overlooking is the aftermarket. If you run your business with a retail scooter, there is always aftermarket for it. If I steal it, I can sell it to, to someone because you get the same scooters from the shops. But with our custom design, there is basically no aftermarket because the scooters are meant for sharing business and you don't want to steal it to, to have it in your home. You have the same things on, on the streets. Right. Well, I've tried it out for, for a very short while, uh, the Stego e-scooter that you brought here. Mm-hmm. Uh, very sturdy, like a bigger tires. And, and so, it, so it does feel a little bit different than, than all of these, let's say, crappy uh, <laughs> e-scooters used by, by the sharing companies. Uh, but I'm wondering, so you're sort of in charge of sales and marketing for the company. Yeah. But who do you sell to? Like, are you trying to get all of these companies like Dot and, and Lime to get them to use your scooters? Or are you more focused on the corporate accounts where you have your own fleet, etc.? Like, what's your target audience with this? Uh, target is exactly, as you said, the, the sharing companies. Because okay. the, today we see that our scooter is way better because we've developed it together with a few big names on the market. Yeah, there are some differences that maybe you don't know this uh, if, if you're a regular user, but you see that, for example, the bigger wheels and you said it's, it's better ride. And these are the things that we, we know and we know how to do it better. Great. And so how's it going so far like in terms of sales and marketing? It's, it's going well. <laughs> we have prototypes and we have signed uh, our first orders with, uh, with this, some really big names, which uh, are confidential at the moment because, uh, we haven't delivered yet. It has to happen in three months' time, the first 1,000 scooters. And then we can say who was the first one to, to roll it out. Right. Well, we'll write about it when, when the news hits. But it's quite an interesting development. So you're basically more shelling shovels than, than digging for gold. Exactly. And this is, 
the same thing that we say in our presentation. We we want to shell shovels. So we, we don't care if our logos are on the scooters. It's it's not uh, what right. we are after. But we want to give a better experience for users. The small things, as I said, like we have our bigger wheels, but also one thing, our floorboard is uh, lower than others. So it's easier for you to step on it. Although like our clearance is higher. So it's, it's more safe to ride. And if you hit the... Uh, some cobblestones or whatever, it's, it's just, uh, yeah. it's easy to... Well, it definitely feels nice. I'm not saying I've tried all of the e-scooter <laughs> companies so far, but, uh, but it but really you, does... You notice different. the difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did, yeah. It's also funny because I used the Lime this morning, so I can sort of compare. <laughs> and especially in Brussels with all the, like, the uphill and the cobblestones. Yeah, true. You want like a sturdy scooter, to, mm-hmm. otherwise it's just a stressful thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in terms of regulation, because uh, you know, a lot can be said about you know, the way that this is happening in the UK, for example, they're mm-hmm. still officially banned. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really know what's going to happen in, in the other big cities like Amsterdam, Paris. Uh, you know, it's, it's still in flux. But does this affect you in any way? Like, do you keep taps on that? Basically, we are looking what what is happening on the market, and we want to work together with uh, with sharing companies and with uh, cities or with councils or whatever is the lawmaker. But uh, our designs and our products can be adjusted according to market. So we can limit the speed, or we can increase the speed. We can have two brakes, one brake, whatever is needed. All the lights, brake lights, as high as possible or as low as you want to. So yeah, for, for us, it's it's quite easy. Like we get this input from the sharing company. If you are a sharing company based in, in Germany and you say, okay, these are our requirements, we can meet this. It's, that's what we do. Interesting. Um, so we talked about the fact that there are many, like Bolt and Dot and Tire and all these. Yeah. You mentioned TCO, but I also want to like make the discussion a bit broader. Like this whole discussion about the unique economics, mm-hmm. economics. it does really make sense. And they're all going for user growth as much as they can, but they're losing money, all of them. So how do you how do you see this evolving? <laughs> I think the key here or where the secret lies is you have to have a special design products. This is like if uh, like if, a real differentiator in Exactly. Yeah. If if you can keep the costs low and the scooters don't break that that easily or that that much if then I think you have a good recipe for uh, for good business. But if you keep going with uh with the retail scooters and you're doing like a heavy use business, it's it's not sustainable. Right. And something else I've noticed, like everyone always talks about the hardware, like the actual scooters. Yeah, yeah. Nobody seems to really talk about like who makes the software that, that lets people unlock. But I've heard that there's actually an Estonian company servicing most of these e-scooter companies. Is that true? Yeah, it's called CoModule. Yeah, that's, I think, one of the top players in, in the market. And we also have a CoModule uh, like easily adjusted with our scooter. So uh, yeah, there's lots of good things coming from Estonia and we, we work together so uh, we, we can see what everyone else is doing. Quite interesting. Now, in terms of markets, what, what's your focus, like on a, geographically speaking, I mean? Yeah, I think the easy, or not the easiest, <laughs> the most, yeah, the logical ones are the big cities in, in Europe, like where you get the most um, e-scooters out there. Today, what I see is uh, people want, or the companies, they want to grab the market. So it's like first come, first serve. If you are in Brussels, the first one, you don't care about the hardware. You just want to be present. You want people to notice your logos. Right. You want them to get used to using your scooters. And afterwards, you will um, start to, you know, like uh, put out there like better products for, for the service. So so this is what is happening today. Is the companies are struggling to get, get the market share. And after that, you will iron out, uh, you know, it's you smoothen the, yeah. the business. 
But it also, like, it, it seems to make it very, very difficult for you to sort of stand out from the noise and mm-hmm. and pointing out how different you are and what you're actually doing. Mm-hmm. Does that? But but we have the same to. Way for you? Yeah, we have to sell to to sharing companies. So. Um, yeah, so you don't need to advertise to the exactly the, the like, guys on the street. Yeah, and <laughs> our partners are really professionals, so they know what they are buying. They know what the scooter needs to be doing, and we can easily, you know, work with them. Makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff coming out of Estonia when it comes to e-scooters. It's slightly different from, from what we're used to. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to point out about what makes you different as a company? Mm, I think, yeah, we, it's uh, our strength is uh, like we have a whole range of uh, micromobility. So we have a competence and a history of making uh, e-scooters, e-bikes. We call it like it's micromobility. We don't want to start making electric cars or buses or, or whatever. This is this is not what we are uh, after. If you stick to your your business and you you don't want to get too broad, then I think you have a you have a good chances of uh, of flying high. <laughs> yeah, definitely an interesting perspective, and uh, we'll keep tabs on the company for sure. Uh, Harold from Stego, thank you so much for dropping in. Thank you, and best of luck with the company. Thanks. Hey, welcome back to the podcast of TechEU. And now we do what Yeah, Natalie talks about the commission. Yeah, so another big development from the last week that I felt like it was really important for us to mention is the announcement of the new team and structure at the European Commission. So President-elect Ursula von der Leyen made her announcement last Monday. And there are a few things that should stand out for those of us working in European tech. It's also the first commission executive with a near gender balanced team of commissioners, so 14 men and 13 women. First, many were wondering who would succeed Margaret Vestager as the competition authority. Well, now she's back and with an expanded portfolio as executive vice president coordinating the agenda for Europe fit for the digital age. She also returns as a commissioner for competition, so big tech will continue to need to watch out. Vestager has already started her work with a bang as Apple is appearing in the EU General Court in Luxembourg this week, fighting to rein in the EU's antitrust authority. We won't know the results of this case for some weeks now, but the outcome will either lead to more power for the commissioner or less. So it'll be a case we'll have to continue to watch. Also significant is Maria Gabriel from Bulgaria, who returns as a European commissioner with a new portfolio, which is called Innovation and Youth. She previously served as the Commissioner for Digital Economy and Society, and I think there's a lot of enthusiasm for this new office, which combines both innovation and initiatives for young people. Maria is a commissioner who uniquely understands the technology and startup community, so I think this posting will allow her to continue in the work she started as Commissioner for Digital Economy and Society, as well as expand her activities. There's also some other interesting developments of the commission. Um, Importantly, they're going digital and paperless. So to adhere to a Europe that is, quote, fit for the digital age. So in any case, we'll be watching the developments from the commission closely and we'll be looking forward to sharing them with you as well. Indeed. And in fact, this is uh, such an interesting and fascinating topic to discuss that we are going to talk about it more in a separate session in this week's special episode. And this is something that we are going to record here at a Tech Barbecue Conference in Copenhagen, actually on the podcast stage. 
on Wednesday and we will run this one on uh, Friday most probably. So do keep your eyes open. We are going to talk about the commission more. What I can what I can say now just re- in regards to what you just said, Natalie, is that I am a bit more skeptical about uh, one of the people uh, in the new commission, that is uh, Maria Gabriel that you mentioned. But the only reason for that is that one of the main things I remember about her is that she was actually in favor of the copyright directive. And this is something that I can't count as a positive change to the European regulation landscape. So that, that, that that's the only thing, though. Other than that, I'm very happy that uh, Vestager is back with her uh, competition uh, commissioner position and everything else. Now, uh, let us now move on to the story's recommendation. And mine today is a an actual scientific study. And it's a scientific study of languages, uh, which has shown really interesting findings. Uh, it appears to be possible that human speech has a universal transmission rate of 39 bits per second. That's twice as fast as Morse code, a bit slower than average human reading rate, and of course, a lot slower than today's internet speeds. So the too long didn't read uh, here is uh, that the researchers uh, first calculated information density of 17 different languages, and then over, I think, three years, they recruited people to read a bunch of passages written in these languages. And of course, the speed of speech was different, but it turns out that the actual transmission rate, like how much information is passed through, is very close for each language. And the average here is 39.15 bits per second. So it is really fascinating and it leads to a lot of different things, I think, just to think about. And uh, I will, for now, leave it up to you. Check out the paper and let us know what you think. Now, Natalie, what, uh, what, what was your thing for today? Yeah, so frequent listeners of the podcast will know my love-hate or hate-love relationship with Amazon, something that my family especially has been using a lot lately as we've just moved out of the big city. We now happen to live less than 10 minutes away from an Amazon distribution facility, so you could say the presence of Amazon looms large over ourselves at the moment. Seriously, this distribution facility is gigantic, and they do tours of it, and I will be visiting very soon. But back to my recommendation here, it comes from a Bloomberg's Decrypted and it investigates a question of, is your Amazon habit wrecking the planet? And what they find is that the answer is not so simple, And but it's a very good listen and it's a great podcast. And I especially wanted to recommend this podcast this week because the Bloomberg Decrypted podcast is one of my favorite podcasts on tech and they've just come back for a new season. So it's a great time to give them a listen. I haven't had time to listen to this one, but uh, I certainly will. And uh, I'm really interested to uh, to listen the, to the answer to the question. So I guess after you said about uh, your interest in the tours, uh, Amazon uh, facility has started preparing the floors uh, for, <laughs> uh, for you. Now, it's time for us to wrap it up. This is it for today's podcast. I do hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please do tell a friend or colleague about the show and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore you. If you are not a subscriber yet, do subscribe today on your favorite podcast app. Audio engineering for this podcast is done awesomely by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at Andri at TechEU and Natalie at TechEU. Natalie, thank you so much. It's so great to see you in person today. Yeah, it's been wonderful, and we're really enjoying our time in Copenhagen. 
on Takeout Nordic Investors Day today and really enjoy Tech Barbecue. Can't wait. Now, if you happen to listen to this episode when Tech Barbecue is not over yet, do find us, say hi, and tell us uh, what you think. We're going to have a few uh, stage gigs over the event, and I think, Natalie, you will be even around on a Friday morning. Happy to meet any one of our listeners, especially. Let us know what you think. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week and talk to you next Wednesday. Bye-bye. <laughs> 